Welcome to Trinity Dallas. We pray that this message will be a source of encouragement and hope in your life today. Enjoy today's message. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now, You must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have been taken off your old self with its practices, and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another If you have any grievance against each other, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and the songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord, giving thanks to the God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It's the Lord Christ who you're serving. Anyone who does wrong will be paid for their wrongdoings, and there is no favoritism. This is the word of the Lord. Well, thank you, honey. I'm very grateful this morning that I gave my wife the right passage to read. Some of you remember this uh, earlier this summer, I gave her the wrong passage to read. 
She read the passage, and then I had to make up a sermon very quickly. No, I'm kidding. We, so thank you, honey. I want to start off this morning by addressing the latter end of this passage, which uh, uses the word slavery and master um, in the context of the, the passage. And I want to address that first before we move back into the beginning of the passage. Slavery um, was very prevalent in the first century, the time that Paul was writing this letter to the Colossians. And this was a Greco-Roman world that Paul was working in. And so slavery existed in many different forms, all the way from an employee-employer relationship down to um, a relationship where slavery was used to oppress certain groups that the Romans had conquered and use them for slave labor. So there were many forms of slavery that were in use at this time. And Paul is writing this letter in that context. But the idea of race-based slavery in order to dehumanize a people group for the purposes of economic gain was not prevalent in the first century. Unfortunately, in the first part of American history, that idea infected our country. And even more unfortunately, many pastors, some seminaries, and even whole denominations use this passage in Colossians to somehow justify or misjustify the idea of race-based slavery in the United States. This is a tragedy. Probably beyond that, it's an actual heresy. Now, what's ironic about this is that Paul is writing this letter to a church that's struggling with heresy, and yet some American pastors use this passage to actually create a heresy and promote it in our country. It's very, very unfortunate. We just want to make sure that everybody knows that here at Trinity, we recognize how this particular passage and a few others have been misused in the past, and it is clearly a misapplication at least, and at worst, it's an actual heresy. So we recognize that. So I wanted to get that, let that foundation laid as we jump into this passage. Because Paul, in verse 11, said this, Therefore there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcision or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but in Christ all are in Christ. So what Paul's saying here is there is no racial hierarchy, there's no religious barriers, there are no national disqualifiers, and there's no caste system. Now, even though Paul, many would want Paul to go further and actually um, condemn slavery in the first century, he had no power in order to be able to do that. But what's interesting, the N.T. Wright says that here in this passage and a few others, Paul gives us a ticking time bomb. That when righteous men come, righteous men and women come into power could be used to dismantle all forms of slavery. Yeah. And so we're grateful to Paul for that ticking time bomb. Now, I wish that it had exploded much earlier in our history, but I'm grateful that it eventually did. Yeah. Let's talk about the preeminence, the preeminence of Christ, this doctrine that Pastor Joe uh, talked to us about in the first two chapters of Colossians. The first two chapters, as Pastor Joe has mentioned, are mostly about doctrine. The, the last two chapters, this one, chapter three, and then chapter four, are all about practical application of how to live out the doctrine that Paul was laying out here. Now, in the first century, 
these uh, people that were committing heresy in the church, that were teaching false doctrine that Paul was confronting, they lived in this world where there were many gods that were celebrated. If you were in the Greco-Roman world, it was acceptable to have many, many gods. What was unacceptable was this idea that Paul was preaching about the preeminence of Christ. They were completely fine at this time with people preaching Jesus as a God. They were completely fine with starting churches that worship Jesus as a God or a Lord. And they were completely fine with Jesus' teachings as long as they were teachings. The problem became when Paul begins to talk about that the teachings of Christ are above the philosophies of men. Now, if you would have been in the first century, that would have created a problem. The big problem, because when Paul says that not only is Jesus, his, his teachings above the flesh, but he's actually the only Lord, the only king of heaven, that created a major problem. So false prophets had to rise up and try to contend with that. So that's why Paul gives us this, this doctrine of the preeminence of Christ. And so I'm going to take a look at this. Paul uses three phrases to describe this doctrine. Three phrases in chapter three that we're gonna look at. The first one is, set your hearts and minds. Paul says in this passage to set your hearts and minds on things above. And then he says, clothe yourselves. Paul says, clothe yourselves with the things of Christ. And then he says, whatever you do. So set your hearts and minds, clothe yourself, and then Paul gives a, a big instructive in whatever you do. So if we could simplify this doctrine of the preeminence of Christ, we might look at it this way. It's Christ is first in my heart, Christ is first in my head, and Christ is first with my hands. My heart, my head, and my hands, Christ is first in all that I am as a person. In all of my humanity, Christ is first. Now this is what Paul preached that caused so much problems in the first century. So let's take a look at this one by one. Let's take a look at what it means to set your hearts and minds on Christ. Verse three, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. So if we think about the heart for just a moment, the heart may be considered the seat of human emotional nature. It's what we long for. It's our wants, our longings, our desires. In other words, maybe we could think of the heart as what you love. What you love comes from your heart. Thus scripture says and counsels us, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Guard your heart. Everything you do flows from your heart. Proverbs 4:23. We might think of the mind this way, it's the seat of human understanding. This is where ideas, actions, and habits come from. In other words, it's what you meditate or dwell upon. That's what we might think about the mind or the head, and thus scripture counsels us. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, Romans 12, 2. 
So here we have the heart and the mind, the heart and the head, and Paul is saying that those need to be set on Christ. Here's the, the first ancient truth I want us to take a look at this morning. Set your heart and your mind on the kingdom of God. Paul is telling the Colossians, they're hearing all these types of different philosophies that are coming against this idea that Jesus is the only God, and Paul is telling them in the ancient days, which applies to us now in the modern world, that we need to set our hearts and our minds on the kingdom of heaven. This is why Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew 6.10. Pray, thy kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when we set our hearts and our heads on things above, this is a daily practice. It's the lifestyle of a peculiar people. Really, it's the lifestyle of a strange people, a holy people. A very different people. Because when we set our minds and our hearts on the things of God, here's what we put to death. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, greed, idolatry, this first list of six. These are things that when we put these things to death because our hearts and our minds, our heads are set on the things of God, it will make you very peculiar in the day and age in which we live, will it not? That's why we are strange. We are weird. You can go ahead, get the t-shirt. We really are. And we're called to be a peculiar people because Paul says that when we set our hearts and our minds, the wholeness of our personality, onto the things of God, these things we're going to deal with, these things that cause damage to humanity, these things that reduce us as human beings, These things that steal our dignity, Paul says, you can put these things to death when we set our minds and our hearts on the things of God. And then he gives us another list of six. He says, rid yourselves of anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, and lying. Now again, if you get rid of these things, it's going to make you a very peculiar person. I remember growing up and playing football, my, my high school, my coach, he, he taught us rage. Yeah. He wanted us to be filled yeah. with rage. He didn't want us to get rid of rage. Right. He wanted to accent yeah. this idea. So dealing with these things, getting rid of these things makes us a strange, peculiar people. Paul is not interested in you cleaning up your act. The purpose of the Bible is not to give us a list of do nots. Christianity is not about behavioral modification. It's not. Christianity is about setting the inside towards heaven so that the outside can enjoy heaven on earth. Who you are on the inside determines what you will do on the outside. This is the ancient truth that Paul is teaching us. This is the ancient truth that we have to grab hold of as Christians to become that peculiar people. That word set that Paul uses, it means to bring into a specified state of being. To bring something into a specified state of being. You know, when it's summertime, I can't wait for summer. I love the summer and it gets really hot. And uh, again, as you guys know, I grew up out in West Texas. That's why I talk so funny. And... um, I remember my mom used to make uh, iced tea. She would make sweet iced tea, and she would do it the old-fashioned way where they, you brewed it and all that kind of thing. Well, if 
we uh, have that iced tea and it's available and I love iced tea on a hot day. And if I want iced tea and I dwell on the thought of iced tea and I really desire in my heart to have iced tea and my head is thinking about iced tea, but if the freezer thermostat is not set on at least 32 or below, will water ever become the state of ice for me? No, it will not. And so iced tea is only a fantasy. (laughs) Unless the thermostat is set to below freezing. This is exactly what Paul is talking about. He's talking to people who sometimes believe certain things about Jesus or maybe know certain things about Jesus, but they haven't set their life They haven't set their thermostat in such a way where they can live out the doctrine that they know. And so Paul is telling us, set your thermostat in such a way that it changes the state of who you are. Just like water becomes ice, you and I are called to change. And that change makes us a peculiar people. The good news is that you can set your heart And you can set your head. That's the good news. And the better news is that you can rid yourself of that first list of six. And you can also put to death those things that were also listed in the other list of six. So that's the good news this morning. Number two, clothe yourselves. The next uh, phrase that Paul gives us in order to be able to understand uh, the preeminence of Jesus is this phrase called clothe yourselves. In verse 12, therefore God chose, uh, therefore is God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another even as you have been forgiven Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So Paul says you need to clothe, we need to clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and forgiveness. He gives us this metaphor of clothing yourselves because he knows that we could identify with those things. In fact, all of you are participating in this doctrine this morning. I'm looking out over the crowd, and I'm grateful that you have done this today. You've clothed yourself. It's wonderful. Thank you. I'm sure you're grateful that I've done the same. So Paul says that we can put on the character of Jesus. When we look at this list, really what we're doing is we're putting on Christ. We're clothing ourselves with the preeminence of Christ. We're allowing the epicenter of our person, our heart and our head, to be ruled by Jesus. And that's what Paul's encouraging us to do. And I want to talk about what this would actually mean for us today. Paul is addressing the first century, so he addresses some things there. But I want to look at what this might mean for us today to clothe ourselves with Jesus. Here's what it might mean. Number one, it means truth over tribe. Your political affiliation is submitted to your kingdom citizenship. If Paul was writing to us today, he might say something like that. As a survey was taken recently among pastors today, the number one issue that pastors are facing that is tearing the church apart, that is causing the church to become separated in many ways, are political issues. 
And here's what Paul might say to us in, in, in t- today's language. He might say this, hey, listen, if you are a Republican or a Democrat, that's fine. But you need to be kingdom heavy and party light. You need to be kingdom heavy and Republican light in the church. You need to be kingdom heavy or Democrat light. So if we're going to allow the preeminence of Christ to, out, to play out as a doctrine in our lives, it means that your political affiliation is submitted to your kingdom citizenship. Number two, it means this. It means commandments over culture. It means your interaction with society is submitted to God's law. The way you and I interact with culture and society is submitted to what God says is true in the scriptures. As opposed to you and I being conformed to the culture and looking just like the culture when we're supposed to be a very peculiar, strange people, we begin to do the things that make us look cool and relevant in the culture, Paul would say we're to do just the opposite. Now, not to purposely be strange or purposely be bewildered. That's not what Paul's talking about at all here. But he would say that commandments are over culture. That your interaction with society needs to be submitted to God's law. And then the next thing he might say is this. It means sacrifice over self. It means your identity, who you are, your sexual identity, who you are online, your social media identity, who you are economically, who you think you are in society, that that's all submitted to crucifixion. In other words, Jesus went to the cross, died on the cross for you and I. He paid this horrible price. He was crucified for us so that we could have a relationship with God and so that we could find our full identity in Christ. And until we find our identity in Christ, we are searching in vain. We may look at certain vain philosophies of men to try to find self-identity. We may search and find self-identity in culture. We may look to all different types of sources. But as we do that, we are making self-identity the new God. And Jesus is saying, I was crucified so you don't have to do that. I was crucified on the cross. I paid this horrible price so that I could tell you who you are so that you don't have to be confused about your identity in all these different areas, so that you can find rock-solid foundations for who you are and what Christ has done for you. This is what it means to practically live out the preeminence of Christ in the culture in which we live. Difficult things don't leave the church because I said those. Um, I hope you'll hang around, uh, but... I have to, have to attempt to, to preach the truth here. Number three. Number three. Paul says this. Now that you've set your hearts in your head, now that you've clothed yourself with the preeminence of Christ, he says this, whatever you do, go do whatever you do. Go do it. Verse 17. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Give thanks to God the Father through him. So here's this list. Wives, whatever you do. If you've set your heart 
You've set your head, you've clothed yourself, then go do what it is you do in the name of Jesus. Then he talks about husbands and children and fathers and employers. He says, employers, go do what you do in submission to Jesus. And then employees, go do what you do clothed with Christ. So he, he addresses all of these folks and he tells us, all of us, hey, whatever you do, do it in the name of Jesus. There's a wonderful story of Mother Teresa, and uh, a reporter was studying what she was doing in Calcutta, India, and he spent significant time with her and he had this interchange with her. He was watching her attend to open wounds, to stinking bodies, to bleeding wounds, and just the worst things you can imagine that people go through. And he eventually said to Mother Teresa, he said this, I would not do what you do for a million dollars. Mother Teresa smiled and looked at him and said, I wouldn't either. <laughs> the only motivation big enough for such activity is eternal reward. She thought about eternity in the way that she worked. In the way that she labored and everything she did, she had an eternal perspective. Make no mistake about it, God is very interested in whatever you do. Whatever you are doing, even in the small little things, God is very interested in whatever you do. Look at verse 23, work at it with all your heart. Whatever you're doing, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an eternal reward from the Lord. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. It's the Lord Christ that you're working for. In this very understanding of the employer relationship and the employee relationship and in work uh, there was a great preacher named Charles Spurgeon in the 19th century who uh, was, so, was such a gifted preacher and so influential that he actually became one of the most influential, if not the most influential person of the 19th century. And a uh, tremendous preacher, he was called the Prince of Preachers. And uh, he, would, uh, he would do evangelism services outside, preached in London, and uh, just had this magnificent church, these people that came, and he loved, he was very evangelistic, and he would preach sometimes in the streets of London, and he loved to ask people that had accepted Christ, what does that mean? What does it mean? Because he was always very curious, wanting to make sure that people were actually living out the preeminence of Christ. This very passage in Colossians had a deep impact on Charles Spurgeon. And so he was staying with a friend one weekend, and the friend was very wealthy, had a large mansion, and there were many maids and servants that worked in this particular mansion. And so one morning, uh, Spurgeon was having coffee, and he was watching all the activity of those that were working all throughout the house. And he noticed this one maid who went about her work with a sense of elegance. She was doing menial tasks, but the way she did them, it almost looked like there was a divine inspiration in everything that she did. And she worked with this joy, this, this, this joy that seemed to be almost infectious. 
And so Spurgeon was, was watching the other people that were working, and he noticed that they just did their labor to do their labor. But this woman was different. And so he approached her, and he said, Madam, I'm, uh, my name is Charles Spurgeon. He said, I, she said, I know exactly who you are. She was actually shocked that Spurgeon would talk to her. And she, he said, Madam, I just want to ask you a question. Why do you work the way that you do? And she said, well, it hasn't always been this way. But several years ago, you were preaching in the streets of London, and I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. And Spurgeon, of course, he was happy. He said, so, um, madam, could you tell me what that means? Could you describe to me what that means? He has a journal of people that would give their description of what it means to accept Christ. And many times people would give answers like Pastor Joe talked about when he opened up and they would say, well, because I'm a good person or because I believe good things or I go to church or things like that. And so he would keep record of those because it would be discouraging to him that people weren't connecting with the gospel. And so he asked this woman, so what, what is it? What does it mean to accept Christ? And she thought for a moment, and she pondered, and she said this very famous quote. She said, well, now, sir, I sweep under the rug. She knew that she served a God who was interested in whatever she did. She served a master who could see under the rug, not a master who could not. She served a God who was interested in the details of what we do. And she got it. She picked it up. She, she knew that Jesus was her Lord and Savior. But it was more than that. It affected the little things of her life. It affected the way she approached her work. It affected the way she viewed her very existence, knowing that she had to sleep, sweep under the carpet as well. What a great story. What a great definition of what it means to be saved. It completely changed her life. The ancient truth here from a, uh, the ancient truth for a modern world is this. Set your hands to eternal work. You and I are called to set our hands to eternal work. What we do really does affect eternity. What we do is very important to God, the work of your hands, the work that you do, the, the, the occupational field that God has called you to is extremely important and God is very much interested in whatever you do. So in conclusion this morning, here's what I wanna say. Colossians chapter three is the practical application of the doctrine that Paul lays out in chapters one and two. Paul's addressing the whole person in the real world. He's addressing the totality of your humanity in the real world with the struggles that we face, with the heresies and the weird ideas that come at us from all different directions, with the philosophies of men that can be vain and twisted. Paul is addressing us in that context. How do we live in this world? How do we apply the doctrine of the preeminence of Christ, meaning Christ is first in everything, how do we apply that in a world that's telling us through social media to do exactly the opposite? 
How do we apply that in the schools that we go to that may be teaching philosophies that are elevated above the teachings of Christ? How do we do that in a world where politically we're told that if we don't believe a certain way and do certain things that we just don't add up? How do we live out the preeminence of Christ? That's what Paul is telling us about. And he's telling us this, Christ has to be first in everything. First in everything we do. So here's my question to you this morning. Is Jesus first in your everything? Is Jesus the first in your everything? We might rephrase it like this. Is Christ first in your heart, your head, and your hands? Is Christ first in your heart, is your love set on the kingdom of God? Is what you love set towards the kingdom of God? Because what you love is who you are. What you love is what you will do. Paul knew this. This is the ancient truth that he's conveying to a modern world. Your head, is your mind set on the things of God? Is your mind set on things above? Is your head set on the kingdom. And then lastly, your hands. Are your hands doing eternal work? Or do you view your occupation, do you view what you do as having an eternal effect? Or we might think about it this way. Do you sweep under the rug? Do you sweep under the rug in what you do as an accountant? Do you sweep under the rug in what you do uh, with your online business and what you do with uh, the, the various teaching uh, realms that you're involved in or whatever it is that is the occupational field in which God has called you to and that is a, a clear calling from God, do you sweep under the rug? Would you do me a favor? Would you stand to your feet right now? I want to ask you to, as you stand... Um, Here's what I want us to do this, uh, this morning. I want us to pray and, uh, and talk to God for just a moment about these questions. Would you pray with me? And if, if you would like to, maybe raise your hands to the Lord. Let's pray together. As we're praying, I just want you to begin to ask the Lord, is God first in your heart? Just ask the Lord, is he first in your heart this morning? Is he the first? Is God first in your head? Is Christ the first thought you have when you wake up in the morning? Is Christ the last thought you have when you go to bed? Is Christ first in your head? Is Christ first with your hands? Do your hands do eternal work? Wherever the Lord has showed you this morning that maybe the answer is no instead of yes, would you just submit that to Christ? Would you just submit that right now all over the room? Just submit to Christ wherever he's not first. Would you make him first this morning? Would you act on Paul's message of preeminence of Christ? Would you take a step with that and make Jesus first in every area of your life? 
Lord Jesus, we are so grateful for your teaching. We are so grateful for your word. I thank you for Trinity Church. I thank you, God, that, that we can hear the word of God. And I thank you for this passage, this, this text, this powerful teaching from, from the Apostle Paul. And Lord, today, we want to live it. We want to be a people in a church that live consistently with the preeminence of Christ in our life. Lord Jesus, we desire that you would be first in everything that we are. And Lord, this morning, we as a congregation, we place you first. We place you first. We submit ourselves to the crucified Jesus who is raised again to tell us who we are. Lord, we submit ourselves to you today. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, listen, I want to give you one more invitation to newcomers, uh, which is going to be at 1230 after the second service. Pastor Joe and Nancy are going to be there to tell the story of the church. I want you to be a part of that lunch. The food's going to be fabulous. The Super Bowl's not till later tonight. Don't have to worry. Be people of God. Come and join us for newcomers. Thank you. You are dismissed. Thank you for tuning in today. If you'd like to dive deeper into today's message, go to trinitydallas.com forward slash sermons to receive your copy of the notes. If today's message encouraged you, do someone else a favor and share it with them. Also be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. A special shout out to all those who partner with us through their giving. Your contributions have enabled us to touch the lives of people in our community as well as around the globe. Visit us at trinitydallas.com forward slash give to partner with what God is doing through Trinity Dallas.